It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we jump into today's Locked On Reds, I wanted to let you know that you need to check out the Locked On MLB podcast after you're done with today's episode. Walking Baseball Encyclopedia, Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you a unique look around the league each and every day. Listen to him as he gives you his take on what's going on and talks about some baseball history on the Locked On MLB podcast. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Today, I got a special treat for you. I'm joined by the Locked On Phillies host, Dan Wilson. We're going to talk about this upcoming series between two teams that actually are kind of in similar positions. Going to get into all of that here in just a minute. Before we do, though, make sure that you're following the podcast on all the many podcasting providers. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Tomorrow's podcast, we're going to take a look at this season and talk about that whenever things are going a little bit roughly, how you can still have fun with this Reds team. But that's tomorrow. Let's jump into today's chat with... Dan Wilson from the Locked On Phillies podcast. Dan, it is a pleasure to have you on. And we're doing this little crossover here thing today because this is the first time that the Reds and the Phillies have played in this post-pandemic world. Uh, it is an honor to have you on the show. Coming to Cincinnati, the Phillies have kind of been playing around with 500 here lately that I've uh, recognized. What can you tell Reds fans about what they can expect from this Phillies team? Yeah, so this Phillies team is currently, depending on how you want to look at it, I say three games below 500. They're going to enter this series 25 and 28. I would say it's been nothing short of a disappointing season thus far. They started out the season 4-0. and They had a five-game winning streak much with a four basically surrounding a four game sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers at the beginning of May. They also won a game against the Braves in there. But if you take out that four and O start and that five and like that five win streak, they've been a pretty bad team. They've been what 21 and 28 since that four and O start and have only won 16 games outside of those winning streaks. I'd say it's been a pretty bad season overall. The offense has been putting an average of two to three runs a game up recently. The starting pitching depth were already uh, Matt Moore and Chase Anderson came into the season as the four and five starters. They've now been delegated to the bullpen or the minor leagues. In Matt Moore's case, the you have an injured Bryce Harper right now. The Phillies have not managed the injured list well. They do have JT Romuto back. The bullpen has been better than it was a year ago, but still not good. Uh, and I would say that Joe Girardi's having a not a great season as manager of the Phillies. And for a team that was expected to compete is in the National League East, which was supposed to be one of the better divisions in baseball. And it really hasn't been. But the Mets actually now have, I believe, the largest lead of any division in baseball. They're starting to pull away a little bit here. And the Phillies have had opportunities to win a number of these games. They've been in a number of one-run games. It has not worked out for them well. They've been a number of games where poor defense has cost them. They had another blunder today. 
Alec Bohm, their third baseman, was never really a good defensive player, but his weaknesses are really being exposed this year. And on the offensive side, he's not exactly making up for it. Reese Hoskins goes through a number of slumps. Andrew McCutcheon started off really cold. Then he got hot for a little bit. Now he's back to being cold. It's not been a good year for the Phillies. And my biggest complaint with this team is they don't do anything especially well. And they're becoming a real tough watch here. And we're already in May. You know, it's only May. It's only Memorial Day weekend. They got to get through four months of the season. They've basically been a 500 team or around a 500 team each of the past couple of years. And this is a team that has the second longest playoff drought in baseball, hasn't had a winning season since 2011. And basically, they haven't been any good since. And I don't necessarily know if I see that changing. But as far as the series against the Reds, look, it's a pair of two teams with losing records. No better opportunity to try and get a series win. They've only won one series on the road since Joe Girardi started as manager with the Phillies. Like he started in 2020. They won two out of three from the Nationals and literally haven't won a road series other than that. Good opportunity to do it here in Cincinnati. He hasn't played any games in Cincinnati since he's been manager of the Phillies. But it's been a pretty bad season for the Phils. And here's a good opportunity to try and make up some games. But yeah, I would say that they don't do anything especially well. And that's been my biggest frustration. It's ironic because I kind of think that the Reds and the Phillies are almost carbon copies of each other at this point that the Reds and all of us Reds fans didn't think we were being delusional and thinking that the Reds were going to contend this year, but they haven't. And they're five games under 500. They salvaged a 500 road trip as they beat the Cubs on Sunday. Otherwise, they looked absolutely horrible in the first two games of that series, whether it be defense or pitching or or even to the matter of hitting, it, it just seems like it's so inconsistent. One game, one thing works. The next game, the other thing works. But none of them ever work in tandem. There's been a couple of those games, and they all seem to happen in the early season win streak that they had. During those first two weeks, it was almost magical. Like Reds fans were like, ooh, are we good? And for the last like month and a half, we've been like... Okay, maybe we're not because it's five games under 500 now. A lot of it has to do with injuries. There's no Joey Votto. There's no Mike Moustakis. There's no Nixon Zell. But on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of teams are dealing with injuries. So to say that that is the only excuse as to why the Reds aren't good is very short-sighted. The guys that they've asked to step up in the lineup who aren't Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos haven't done it yet. Now, Winker and Castellanos continue to fight for the two best batting averages in all of baseball, but they're not getting help. And and if any opposing pitcher looks at this and just says, if we pitch around those two guys and make someone else beat us, it's probably not going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what guys like Aaron Nola and those guys can pitch around this lineup because there's not a lot that should really scare anybody. Eugenio Suarez has hit a couple of home runs over the last few days, but for the most part, he's still struggling. So what do the Reds get out of him? We're not really sure. And then you, the Phillies are actually going to miss Luis Castillo, but he has been the biggest disappointment on this Reds team so far because he was supposed to be a Cy Young candidate. He was supposed to be not necessarily somebody to beat Jacob DeGrom, but somebody up there to challenge him. And he's been absolutely anything but that. His ERA is up over seven. And even though his fielding independent pitching says that he's getting a little unlucky there, it's still in the fours. 
that's still not where you want your ace to be. So they've been hoping that other guys step up. But for the most part, the word that you used for the Phillies, disappointment, has been largely thrown around with this Reds franchise so far because they've gone through the whole 2015 through 2000 and really it's 2014 through 2019, where it was known before the season even started, they weren't going to be in it. They weren't going to contend. It was all about the future. Well, the future's here. And so far the future sucks because they're still under 500 and they're still not that close to contention, but that, leaves something to be desired in these three games because somebody's got to win. And I think that it's going to be a lot of fun seeing who it does. So who are the key players when you look at the lineup for the Phillies? I know that you're dealing with a couple of injuries like Didi and Bryce Harper. So who are the main guys that you're looking for in these three games at great American small park? Yeah, well, it's got to be a guy like Reese Hoskins, who, as I mentioned, I mean, this is a big, point in the season for him because he's had he's a very streaky player known for being a very streaky player and this is a guy who needs to pick up the lineup when a guy like Bryce Harper is out JT Romuto who just returned from the injured list as well would be nice to see a guy like Andrew McCutcheon get going they Joe Girardi recently moved him or on Sunday actually moved him down in the lineup in hopes of getting McCutcheon's bat back to where it was just a couple of weeks ago I've been saying all season long, I would like to see Alec Bohm get going. It's a combination of some fundamental things that I see wrong versus some bad luck. When he hits the ball hard, like he hits the ball hard a lot, and he's on pace to set like a modern day record or a modern day franchise record for grounding into double plays, which is just ridiculous. But also the strikeouts, he gets beat on a lot of just fastballs, not even hard throwing fastballs. Like there was a game, they were in Miami the other day. And he just got beat by like 91, 92 over the middle of the plate. And it's concerning because he's kind of an old school hitter where he likes middle away. He likes to drive balls the opposite way, go into the gaps. But guys have kind of figured out the MO on him, which is just pump fastballs in and basically try and beat him. And that hasn't gone well for him. And then, like I said, whenever he does hit the ball hard, it doesn't even find its way into the outfield. It just produces two outs instead of one. So he's had an incredibly frustrating season he was one of the high points of the 2020 season for the Phillies which was otherwise disappointing it's been overall disappointing because this team I don't know how many people realize it like I've said it a million times but they were tied for the fifth most runs in baseball a season ago and again that was only through 60 games but we're not even through 60 games here in this season so we've almost gotten our way through what is the full 2020 season and at this point last year the Phillies had a pretty good offense, like a well above average offense, but the bullpen was the worst in baseball in 90 years. They still couldn't make the playoffs. So this year, the offense has been incredibly lackluster. They strike out more than anyone in the National League. And it's not as if the true outcomes on the other, like in terms of home runs or, and walks are there to justify striking out that much. Ironically, the team who's striking out more than them entering at least this weekend was the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're in first place. They've rattled off what, 14 of their last 15 games or something like that. So you could get on board with it if they had the bullpen or the pitching that the Rays have, or if they found ways to score runs or just flat out win games the way that the Rays have at this incredible clip. And they have one of the best records in all baseball, best in the American League. When you're striking out 10, 11 times a game, they struck out 14, 15 times, a number of times this season, and you're putting up one, two runs like 
The game is not an easy watch. It's disappointing because the offense is not holding its end of the load. And you're saying, well, okay, the bullpen is, again, a tad better than it was a year ago. But anytime the other team gets like a big offensive inning, it feels like the Phillies are automatically out of it. They're not working innings together. They only score in little clusters. And even then, it seems like it's few and far between. And Coming up here, Dan actually kind of pivots into a little bit of pitching talk about the Phillies. Before we jump into that, though, I wanted to let you know that there's this great new way for you to turn your sports knowledge into cash at sportstrade.com. They've taken fantasy sports and mixed it with the stock market so that you can get your favorite players. You can even build a portfolio of rookies that are like penny stocks or blue chip vets who are always solid performers and see the value of your portfolio rise. Go to sportstrade.com today. Watch the How It Works video to get started and set up your profile and start making money off of players' performances. It's just like fantasy sports. They take each and every individual performance, assign it the fantasy sports points value, and kind of mix it with uh, demand and supply, and that's how you get each player's value. Check them out today, sportstrade.com, and set up your profile and start making cash off your sports knowledge today. This episode of the Locked on Reds podcast is also brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport, like the Reds and Major League Baseball. In fact, I'll be hosting rooms for Locked On Reds once a week. You can join in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find plenty of fans just like you on Locker Room watch parties, debates, and post-game breakdowns, as well as reacting to the biggest news or rumors. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices, and I've heard that there's even a beta on Android. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. Follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs and be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning to be live this week on Wednesday after reopening day so check it out today that's the locker room app changing the way that we talk sports i wanted to go back as you were talking about the phillies uh kind of missing castillo here in this series and i I was glad to hear another fan base kind of debate that like his is he an ace thing because that discussion happens a lot in philly when it comes to aaron nola he has been i think disappointing this season as well he's pitched with 372 era but there have been a number of starts where He's either only gone five, six innings, allowed three, four runs. And in situations where the Phillies really needed him to come through and you say, all right, we have Aaron Nola on the mound. Like this feels like a good day for the Phillies. And it hasn't worked out. The best pitcher by far this season has been Zach Wheeler. And then if you want to go in terms of starting pitcher ERA, Vince Velasquez has had a better ERA than Aaron Nola. And he's going in the Monday matinee game. So certainly not something that was expected from this Phillies team, I would say at all, but Nola's been disappointing. Overall, the top three pitchers have fared pretty well. Zach Eflin, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. But Wheeler has been by far the best. And with the exception of Zach Wheeler, I can't say that there's another guy on this team where you say, all right, he's free of criticism for why this season has been 
a disappointment. Everyone has gone through slumps at one point or another. Bryce Harper's played pretty well. He went through a stretch of 25 bad at bats there. We, we later learned that they basically were lying about his health and now he's on the injured list. So I don't know how much you want to get on Bryce for this season, but for the most part, this has been a team effort. This has been an effort of, well, when you don't score a lot of runs and you have pitching that doesn't shut lineups down with one run or less, as the Rays bullpen often does, it's going to result in a lot of losses. And again, you might rattle off four in a row to start the season and five in a row randomly in the beginning of the month of May. But other than that, they've won, like I said, 16 games, something like that. It's not going to get it done. They're slowly falling in this division. It's only May, but and they're also the worst offensive team in baseball. Like I haven't seen a team play this bad in the field in a while. They've had mental errors. That was something that was supposed to fix itself under Joe Girardi. It is not. So when you look at this team going into random series, you're like, all right, well, they would need to win two out of three of these next five series just to like get back in contention. And they consistently lose series or draw splits with the Marlins like they just did in a four-game series and then lose two to the Tampa Bay Rays. And you're like, I don't see this resurgence coming. Like, I don't, I don't feel it. Sometimes you can feel like, all right, this team is losing close, close games. Like they're just, they're on the cusp of breaking through that wall. I don't feel that at all with this team. There's four months to go. I really hope I'm wrong, but just on an overall organizational landscape, like I mentioned, they have the second longest playoff drought in all of major league baseball. Like this was supposed to be the, first of all, they already, the rebuild has already taken longer than it was supposed to. They held on to their guys from, that era that I'm sure you remember well, because they were all in that lineup in the Phillies. Well, one of the last playoff yeah. series. All right. So you ready for this Reds listeners? The last oh, playoff yeah. series, the Phillies won was against the Reds in 2010. <laughs> like they literally haven't won a playoff series since they lost the giants in the NLCS and the Cardinals the following year. Those guys, they held on. I mean, they got some pieces back. They traded away. Jimmy Rollins got Zach Eflin as a result. Ryan Howard basically finished his career as a Philly chase Utley got sent to the Dodgers, but they kind of stayed into the mid 2010s. And finally, it's like, we're going to hit the rebuild. And they have a lackluster farm system. Guys don't develop well of this organization. Aaron Nola is a homegrown guy, but really you look around. And Reese Hoskins is a homegrown guy. Alec Bohm is a homegrown guy. But they don't get a lot of hope or a lot of help, rather, from guys that they develop. So it's basically a, a bought or traded for team. And as I mentioned, they were 28 and 32 a year ago, 81 wins the year before that, 80 before that. And it feels like this is like maxing, maximizing this team's potential out. And when you have contracts like Bryce Harper and JT Romuto, like this is it. Like this is now. And if they're not going to, they're only going to get to 500 now. It's not as if a season or two from now, it's like, well, I can see them adding 10 to 15 wins here. Like this is it. And it's beginning to become a growing concern for me and around Philly, just how, whether this team actually ever gets any good as a, as a result of 10 years of losing, basically. You want to go across the street, the Sixers staged the most obvious tank in the history of the NBA and the number one seed in the East right now. And regardless of whether you think they'll make the finals or not, at least it, it, it took a while. A lot of people weren't on board with it. But you can see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for this Phillies team. They can't even make the playoffs. And they're not on pace to. So when you have a lot of losing and it just gets you back to 500. I don't even know where you go from that. Cause you have a lot of not tradable contracts and who are here for the long term. Like this could be it. This could just be a 500 franchise for the foreseeable future. And it, there's not just, there's not a lot of winning it barring something major changing with, with this team. Yeah. And it's funny. You mentioned about the defense, like 
if you're a fan of the glove, this might be a rough series because the Reds infield defense is atrocious. And they've just been happy with the fact that Kyle Farmer can field shortstop because Eugenio Suarez really can't. They've tried him out there. They, he was actually a shortstop with the Tigers whenever they first acquired him for the bloated corpse of Alfredo Simon, but he's not a shortstop. He's a third baseman. And every time he plays shortstop, he makes goofy, just terrible mental. I mean, everybody will remember on Saturday in the second inning, they had a guy dead to rights in between second and third on a ground ball. All he has to do is flip it to the third baseman, third baseman tags them. They get the lead runner. For some reason, he boots it, throws it five feet over the third baseman's head and all hell breaks loose. So it, 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 infield defense is not going to be a thing in this series. There's going to be a lot of interesting innings based on that. And when you look at the lineup, I, I talked about Winker and Castellanos. I think those are well-known commodities when you're looking at what a pitching staff is going to do against this Reds lineup. One guy to watch out for would be Tyler Stevenson. He has a great eye. In fact, he worked a 10-pitch walk against Jake Arietta just earlier. Uh, we were recording this Sunday night just earlier today against the Cubs. And it really spearheaded a three-run first for the Reds and changed the entire complexion of the game. He is a great rookie with a really bright future, especially if they can harness the multi-position ability at first base. He's gotten a lot of playing time there with Joey Votto out. So if he can do that and kind of save his knees down the line at catcher, that's going to be a huge thing for him. But other than that, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody steps up in this lineup. Tucker Barnhart's kind of come back down to earth after hitting 300 for the first month of the season. And then you look at guys like Gino, who needs to kind of bounce back or get going. He's got 12 home runs, but that is, it's a weird mirage. Like he'll hit a home run every now and then, but for the most part, he's going to come up with runners on base and he's probably going to get out. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see. And then on the pitching side of things, I love the matchup on Tuesday of Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray. It's going to be a lot of breaking pitches in that game. I'm going to be interested to see the result of what Tuesday, the only night game in this three-game series, which is weird, because then you got Wednesday. You've got the, I don't know if you want to call it emotions. I don't think players are going to buy into it as an emotional thing. But for fans, it is officially the reopening day in Cincinnati because it's full capacity. I was going to ask about that. So what, what has been the capacity limits in Ohio? So Philly's going full capacity for the first time on Friday against the nationals. There's a chance that the first full capacity sporting event, if the wizards, the Sixers are about to beat the wizards in either four or five, if they close out that series in Washington, they're going to have to wait. And the Phillies will be the first full capacity sporting event. If that series goes five, the Sixers will have full capacity on Wednesday. So this is the first full capacity in the middle of the series, though. Like, they're waiting till Wednesday to do it. Yeah, it's really strange how they're doing it, too, because Wednesday's a day game, 1235 on a business day. It's technically a businessman special, which in normal times wouldn't be a sellout anyway. So we're going to see if a bunch of people call off. But, yeah, Friday sounds a lot smarter for that. But, yeah, no, full capacity, optional masks, that sort of thing. So what kind of people show up for this game? You're also going to get the second career start of Vladimir Gutierrez in that game. 
So there's a lot that's kind of riding on this series so far as development for the season for the Reds. It's not something that they can kind of phone it in as, oh, well, it's intra-division or inter-inter. I can't get the right word. Intra-league. Yeah. Intra-league, yeah. Yeah, intra-league, inter-division, like not NL Central, but still important because the Phillies are going to be probably right around where the Reds are at the end of this year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because I'm still – I'm seeing some bad signs like you're seeing with the Phillies. I'm seeing them with the Reds. But with this series, it's going to be very important who makes the least amount of mistakes, it sounds like, on the infield, and then which pitching staff is able to hold it down in the later innings because there are some guys, and especially if they don't send this dude down, he pitched today for the Reds in one inning, and he's the only reason that the Cubs scored because he can't tell you where his pitches are going and that is cnl perez i really hope that he's in the minors because if he is in the bullpen for this series he's going to pitch and it's going to be rough Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes i I think it's going to be a fun three games to watch i know that when you get two teams together like this that is where the entertainment value comes in because somebody's got to have a good game and we're not going to know who it is (laughs) Really quick, because I'm just thinking of other Phillies Reds connections. What have you made? Yeah. I know he's been the manager for a few a few years now, but uh, of David Bell, who, by the way, has the last cycle for the Phillies back in 2004. Not sure if you knew that. Nice. I did not know that. Um, well, for as much as we know about David Bell, we have as many questions about him. He loves to tinker. Um, big fan of the double switch. Oh, Girardi uh, is too. There's going to yeah. between Girardi and David Bell, you might have. 13 double switches in this game. It's as if Girardi spent so many years managing the AL. And once he got to the NL, he realized this was a thing you could do. And he knows the DH <laughs> is coming. So he's getting out like a career's worth of double switches this year. He, he absolutely loves it. And oh, go ahead. But I bring up the manager conversation basically because I got another Girardi rant, but go ahead. Oh yeah, no. And, and, and really when it comes to David Bell, it feels like there are some games, like if it's a one run game, guarantee you're going to see him a lot because he knows how to get on TV. It feels like now don't get me wrong. He's smart. He, he makes some interesting calls that actually work out, but he, uh, probably for every call that he makes that works out, he has at least one or two that you just scratch your head on. I, 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 just, I always look back to whenever the Cubs were here a couple of weeks ago, there was a play later in the game because this was such a long game that both teams got into their benches super deep, but it was still regulation and in the ninth inning, whenever Amir Garrett, a lefty, was pitching, you, he brings or David Ross brings in Jake Arietta, a right-handed batter. He actually replaced his left-handed batting pitcher with a right-handed batting pitcher. And for some reason, David Bell thought he had to play the matchups with that, so he takes out Amir Garrett and brings in a right-handed pitcher. I'm like, what are we doing? That makes no sense. He's a pitcher. I don't care if he hits right or left or both, or he jumps between the batter's boxes in between pitches. Like, he is a pitcher. At the end of the game, it, it just it he gets in his own way sometimes. I feel like, and it's it's interesting to watch. It really is because this is his contract year. They got to do something now if he's going to get another contract. And I feel like uh, we're really not going to know until the season is over. Yeah, my take on Joe Girardi is everything. Every preconceived notion about him from when he was with the Yankees. Like, I just think he's overrated. Like, he managed a very good team. He had Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen. He had a much more talented team in New York than he had with the Phillies. Phillies fans remember him well. His first year managing with the Yankees, he won the World Series against the Phillies. And now he's been in Philly, and we heard everything was going to change. And I've done this rant a million times. So I'm not going to, like, 
do the full thing. But with Gabe Kapler, everyone thought he was a weirdo and didn't have any clubhouse morale and couldn't relate to players and relied way too heavily on analytics. And he dug an eight, like I said, an 80 and an 81 win season out of two rosters that were not as talented as the one we current, the Phillies currently have. And then last year, Girardi comes in and he has the worst bullpen literally in 90 years in baseball. And it wasn't all his fault, but he also never pressed the right button. The defense was bad. And this year the defense is even worse and they're bad at very fundamental things. Things you would have thought they go over in spring training. He's forgotten how many mound visits he had at one point, forgot to put a guy on the lineup card at one point. Sometimes he makes a double switch just for the sake of making a double switch. Today, I thought he made a head-scratching move, pulling, bringing in Archie Bradley in a game when Connor Brogdon was pitching really well. Like A lot of his moves don't make a ton of sense. There was a time in Atlanta where he went out and makes a mound visit to Jose Alvarado in the entire infield, and he's turning around the second base, and the infield is pointing to go home on the play. Like Every little thing that you would think a manager could affect in the game, whether it's vibe in the club, he got, in, got into it with Gene Segura down in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. Everything a manager you feel could help add value to a team, whether it's in-game decision-making or what kind of switches you're going to make or team defense or situational baseball. Like the Phillies don't do any of it well. And so you have to ask yourself, like, was he just managing in the American league, which I don't know where you stand in the DH, but I think it's an easier league to manage in. Certainly when you have that kind of talent that the Yankees had, and now he's in the NL and sometimes he leaves pitchers in, too long. Like there was an instance where Chase Anderson was pitching. You know, you can only get five innings out of that guy. And there's bases loaded, nobody out. And he lets him hit just for him to send him back out to the sixth inning and he can't get an out. And you're like, well, you know, everyone watching the game knew that Chase Anderson is done after five innings. You have bases loaded. Like this team struggles on offense. Like go stick in a pinch hitter. And that's not a decision you have to make in the American League. Like it, it never seems like, besides the very basic decisions. He left in Connor Brogdon against the Giants, by the way. He got outmanaged by Gabe Kapler in a series in Philly. A lo- in long enough to allow two, three-run home runs. like it, Just things that the team hasn't played well. And I'm not saying Girardi is it, but the team hasn't played well. But he also doesn't add anything to this team. And sometimes you don't follow his logic. And you, you wonder how prepared he has his team. You wonder how so many things go wrong. They taught they way overrated him when they hired him. They were like, Yeah, he adds as much value, like five to ten wins a year, as much as like a big time signing. And he hasn't added any value to this team at all. As I mentioned, they actually had a worse winning percentage with him last year than Gabe Kaplan. This is just his first full season, but they're on pace to be the exact same thing. Like I, I think it, I think it's a name, it's a name that won the World Series more than a decade ago. I don't see any change there. I don't know how long his Phillies career is going to last. And we finish up our conversation here on this Locked On Reds, Locked On Phillies crossover in just a minute. But before we do that, I urge you to grab a Built Bar. I've been telling you about Built Bar for a while now. It is the best tasting protein bar on the market, bar none, because it's made with 100% real chocolate. And the stats don't lie. It's low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, and high in protein. Some bars even up to 18 grams of protein. That's amazing. And they've got amazing flavors too, like chocolate, peanut butter. They've got coconut. They've got raspberry. And they've got my favorite, 
Cherry Barcia. Check him out today at BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. And on top of the flavors that you always see, they've always got limited flavors coming out too that are amazing. Check him out today, BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com and the promo code LOCKED15. But this roster and Joe Girardi both seem to be like have tons of flaws in it. And it's just frustrating to watch day in and day out when you consistently like watching baseball every night is fun when you believe your team has a chance to win. Once you start like not believing your team has a chance to win. And I really first started getting that in the past week. They never play well in Miami, but I watched these games these past two days in Tampa and I'm turning the game on. I'm like, I don't feel like like they get down and. I don't feel like the Phillies have a chance to win. I'm watching it just because I'm like going through the motions. I want to, you know, I like baseball. I, I like doing this podcast and I like staying informed on the team, but the, the excitement of the first week when baseball is back and there's hope in the air around all teams in major league baseball, that has quickly died out. We're now getting into the dog days of summer. It's no longer early every week. I'm like, all right, it's still early. It's still early. It's still early. They're still in this division. Well, now the Mets are pulling away. It's no longer still early. And they have four more months to get through. And there's nothing in the first two months that should make anyone believe the first four months are going to go any better, I, I guess is where I'm at with this team. And Girardi is no exception to that. Like, I don't think he gets a, he should get away from any criticism here. The other day, he got questioned on a decision that he made to not stick Gene Segura back in for defense. And he's getting snippy with the media. Like, oh, you're, you're like, we're going to keep managerial decisions in house now. Like, you're not allowed to question that kind of thing. When you're Bill Belichick and you've won six Super Bowls, you can answer questions like that. When you're Joe Girardi and you have literally not done anything as manager of the Phillies, as I mentioned, he's won one road series, like has not added any value to this team at all. Like, what are you doing? Why are you creating headlines that aren't there? The headline should have been that they won a game over the Marlins, not that Girardi's getting short with the media and now is having clubhouse issues with his team. And every day the defense stinks and he tinkers with the lineup and never does anything. And he makes pitching decisions that consistently don't work. Like, hey. what are you doing, Joe? It's, it's just frustrating. No, I hear you there. So I think we've come to the prediction part of the podcast. What do you think is going to happen with this three game series? Well, if the Phillies and look, they'll probably win one of three. If I'm being honest, like the, the, the uh, if the Phillies win two of three, uh, congratulations to the Reds. They'll be the second victim of a road uh, series win for the Phillies. It's probably one of three. They have like a, Vince Velasquez going on Monday, Aaron Nola winning on Tuesday. The Phillies uh, hover around. I mentioned how well overall the top three pitchers for the Phillies have been this season. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and Zach Eflin. They're only like 500 in those games. Like They don't find ways to win those games at any greater of a clip than they do any other pitcher going. Mm-hmm. So if I'm being perfectly honest, they probably split these first two. Velasquez has actually been a surprise and you're sick, like trying Velasquez the sixth time for the Phillies. He's actually reinvented himself a little bit. I'm, I'm still kind of hedging my excitement with him because I've seen this act before where he's good for a month and a half and then loses it again. So they'll probably find a way to win one of these first two games. And then it, it is interesting, this game on Wednesday. It's kind of the battle of the prospects. You, mad, you mentioned it's the second ever start for Vladimir Gutierrez. And then Spencer Howard, who they're limiting his innings this year, did not start the, on the major league team this season. And 
he's lost velocity going to the lineup the second and third times. They clearly don't want to pitch him super deep into games, but that's concerning from a long-term perspective. Sure. I, I can't say I necessarily say they had a good chance to win that game. So my guess is they'll win one of the first two, maybe be in a close game on Wednesday and lose. So if I had to lay a prediction, there's no reason in my mind's eye to believe the Phillies should win this series. I'll say they win either Monday or Tuesday's game and lose a very lackluster game on Wednesday. I'll say one of three. I think it's it's part hope, but also part like they played poorly in their last homestand, and it's something that up until that homestand, they've been playing amazing at home, just scoring at a much higher clip than they do on the road. I think that the Reds do take it two out of three. The one thing that I'm very interested to see, obviously, is how Gutierrez pitches in his second start, but also how quickly David Bell you know, holds on to that hook whether he's going to pull him in a situation where he needs to, or if he's going to leave him out there and let him get himself into trouble. His first couple of years as a manager, David Bell was known for almost pulling guys too quickly, bringing in the bullpen when they didn't need to. And you really felt like a starter could go a little bit longer this year. It's been the other way. He leaves guys in too long. So it's like, where's the happy medium? Is he able to kind of control that Wade Miley's coming back from injury? This is his first start in a couple of weeks. So I'm interested to see how he pitches at home. He was pitching very well until he got hurt. So I'm intrigued to see. I think that Sonny Gray can win on Tuesday because he pitched very well his last time out. His fastball was moving. His curveball was fooling people because his first couple of starts, it seemed like his curveball was just a waste pitch. Nobody was biting. So this last start, he looked a lot better against the Nationals. I'm interested to see how he follows that up. But I think that the Reds do take two out of three because they are this perfect uh, encapsulation of as soon as everybody is out on them, they reel them back in just well enough to disappoint them again. So we'll see exactly what happens. The Phillies have had a little bit of that historically. Like I'm talking like it's all doom and gloom here. I'm sure they'll go on a run at some point in June or July and they'll hang around. It was kind of the thing the, the Kapler era teams would do is they would still mathematically be in it and everyone would be like, Hey, they're still there. But anyone who watched the team knew like there's nothing really there. And it's just disappointing when you come to that realization in May and it's like, Hey, they still got four months to go and you just don't know where the organization doesn't have a ten of depth. There's no one coming up from the minor league system. You're like, well, we just have to wait on this guy or we have to wait for this guy to get developed. Like this is the team. This is the team they have going. It's not worked through two months. Didn't work last year. Maybe I'm, I've been a little hard on Girardi overall because some of the moves, it's like, what do you really want him to do with it? It speaks to an overall organizational issue that has been there for years, which is the team can't develop, has no organizational depth, and it puts out just subpar, or not subpar, but just very par rosters when it's all said and done. And they have one of the bigger payrolls in baseball, flirting with the luxury tax. You pay Bryce Harper $330 million over 13 years. You give JT Romuto the biggest catcher contract in the history of baseball and what do you have the show for it, it maybe an 80 win season by when it's all said and done it's just it's incredibly disappointing it's a lot of hype at the beginning of the year and it's so hard to continually sell anyone on the fact that you're really going to be good when the results just never show themselves because you can't do basic fundamental things like score, put up a, a decent offensive output consistently like i mentioned below average offense 
well above average, leading the National League in strikeout totals, not even putting the ball in play. You were talking about the Reds' lackluster defense. The ball has to be put in play to like botch the play defensively. So the Phillies don't do that well. It, it's just been overall like it's a shopping list of things. And I guess the biggest thing, as I mentioned, is there hasn't been it's like what do the Phillies do well? Not a whole lot. There's not a lot of players that you feel all right. That guy's having a really good season. Zach Wheeler is probably going to be this team's all star. Maybe if Bryce Harper comes back, he finds his way. Uh, he, I, I assume he will come back, find his way on that team as well. But it's not necessarily been a good showing here for the Phillies in the first third of the season, I'll say. So hopefully there's brighter times ahead. And again, no better team, no better time to do it than against another struggling team in the Reds. I just, I'm not going to go as far to predict it. I, no, I'm, I'm with you there, man. But hey, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate getting the chance to do a crossover with you. He is Dan Wilson. He is the host of the Locked On Phillies podcast. Where can uh, Reds fans find you on Twitter, Dan? Yeah, at Dan underscore Wilson four. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, The podcast at LO underscore Phillies uh, is where you can find Locked On Phillies for all things Phillies. Again, the Phillies playing the Reds here. They have to at some point. I was eyeballing the schedule really quickly they play the reds at citizens bank park i want to say sometime in all it's yeah the second weekend in august the 13th through the 15th so who knows where these teams will be at that point they play twice a year but it it is kind of nice actually over this course of 162 game season phillies haven't played in cincinnati and the reds and phillies haven't met up since 2019 so that was something that was certainly lost from the pandemic years only playing teams on the east coast so Regardless of how good or bad the teams are, it, whether you're at the game or not, it kind of is fun turning on the game every night and doing like the tour of Major League Baseball and actually watching the Phillies play at Great American Ballpark or Small Park, as you called it. So <laughs> it, uh, it, it's been a while since I've watched a game start to finish there. You know, sometimes they'll flip around on MLB TV or I have Castellanos in fantasy, so I'll, you know, stream his bats <laughs> or whatever like that. But it's been a while since I've actually watched a game in its entirety, a Reds game in its entirety. And this will be the first time probably in a couple of years. Absolutely, Dan. Well, hey, man, I look forward to seeing how this unfolds. And we'll look forward to later on this year, we'll do another crossover whenever the Reds head east. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, that's going to do it for us here today. Thanks so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. Like I mentioned on the end set, if you have not already followed the podcast, make sure that you are on whatever app you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. But that's going to do it for us here today. Thanks again, and I'll talk to each and every one of you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.